0: Today's episode is sponsored by Awesome Labs. For everything you need to build your own online store, do the smart thing. Visit beawesome.co.za. Awesome Labs, the web is chemistry. You're listening to Big Shot Business Podcast The What, the Why, and the How of Building and Running a Successful Business on the African continent. Here's your host, Linkford Biz. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Big Shot Business Podcast. Today, I'm with Mohamed Dawofi. He is the um, founder of Cure Bionics, a Tunisia-based tech company. They are busy making 3D printed prosthetics, and I think that's something that is quite exciting for Africa. Mohamed, welcome to the show. Hi, it's a pleasure. Thank you for coming through. Thank you for coming through. Amazing work you're doing up in Tunisia there.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, we are trying to change people's lives, and it's not just about Tunisia, so that's very exciting, actually.
0: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I would claim it and say you're representing Africa, you know. <laughs> it's really an exciting uh, moment for us and a proud moment for me because um, um Tech is something that I'm very um, passionate about, so I hope today we can we can be able to get deep into it and understand what's behind the business and all the things you're doing. Is that okay? Okay, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> all right, beautiful, beautiful. So first things first, you know, everybody has been has been. Talking about Keopionics, I believe it's been on the news a couple of times. Um, it's it's made headlines ac- across the world. But first things first, we'd really want to know the man behind it. So if you would introduce yourself and tell us who Mohamed Diophi is.
1: Okay, so uh, some I'm, I'm from Tunisia. I'm 20 year, 28 years old. Uh, I'm an engineer. I studied engineering, uh, electronics engineering. And then I did the master's degree in management of NGOs. I had some summer studies at Montana State University, also in leadership and conflict resolutions. And I'm a person who's passionate about uh, making some real change in the field, not just talking about it. So yeah, it all started uh, from there. I didn't know from where to start, actually, but that feeling of, uh, or that desire of changing things to the better was somehow pushed me to, to, to start maybe Curbionics. So,
0: yeah. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. You know, not everybody wakes up in the morning and say I'm going to make a 3D printed prosthetic. What got you there? <laughs> Actually, the thing which is funny in the story that I never,
1: uh, I never thought that I will be doing something similar and I never thought about being an entrepreneur. I had that feeling of making things better, but not through entrepreneurship. So yeah, so things started like from a university. So I used, uh, so for engineering studies in Tunisia, we have like a French system, which is two years of preparatory school, then you have a national exam, then you have a rank, and based on that rank, they, uh, they orient you to some engineering university. And I was somehow a brilliant student, but I didn't succeed that exam that year. It was more about the mental, uh, mental, let's say, readiness. I was I didn't feel that I had something that pushed me more after all of these years of studies, like eighteen years of studies, and then had in the, that exam. But I was somehow mentally tired. So after that, I started asking myself, "What if I succeeded? What's gonna change? What I'm gonna do? Am I just gonna study like everyone?" and I started asking questions but never had answers. And I succeeded the the, the exam the year after and when I was at the Engineering University of Sousse, Ecole Nationale d'Ingénieurs de Sousse, I started searching for for myself, what can can I do? What I'm good at? What I'm bad at? So I started doing a lot of activities from uh, extra professional activities, extra, uh, curricular activities, NGOs, uh, let's say, uh, organized events, doing a lot of uh, community service. And I started learning a lot about what I can do. I started get, getting a lot of skills, even some simple uh, things like a strike for, engineering, for engineers. I was learning how to talk to people, how to talk in public, how to use my body language. And then I remember that I, uh, I had to uh, participate in a student challenge uh, called Tunisia Entrepreneurship, I should say Nizou. So it was between two universities, mm-hmm. two mixed universities, uh, mixed teams, let's say, of engineers and business students. And we had to solve some issues. It was not uh, somehow limited, but it was uh, meant to be uh, profitable in the future and scalable. And we were developing, uh, a, a platform, an online marketplace for uh, medical devices, uh, and one of the team members. Uh, we were brainstorming what kind of medical devices should we include, and we started from there. And one of the team members was uh, talking about his cousin who was born without her two upper limb and that was the start. From there, we said, "And what's the problem? What, what are prosthetics? I never liked photo I I don't know what 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 are prosthetics. I don't even." focus on people who have limb differences on the street, because I don't see them. It's about seeing. It's, you start noticing the things that you want to see. It's, it's, about, it's about this. There is a lot of good and bad things in our life, but it's all about what we want to see. And, since, and, and, and during that day, we started to see that part of the disabilities. And we we found that it's very expensive, it's not available. And we started learning about it and finally decided to work on a prosthetic. We said, why should we develop a platform that includes products that are not accessible for people in Africa or in other developing countries or continents? So, yeah, uh, actually, we did a first prototype. It was a mechanical prototype. And it was very simple but very... Uh, inspiring for uh, the jury with the pitch we did. So we got the first prize. We worked on a second version, which was my electric. So it was somehow controlled with muscles, but it was very, let's say, uh, beginner and very uh, early stage, bad design, etc. And then we didn't agree as a team. It was like uh, one of the, it's, it's still one of the biggest problems for startup failures or biggest, let's say reasons goes for startup failure. So we failed to continue together. Everything uh, collapsed. And I had, uh, I was somehow in a very bad situation because I loved that project. And it came uh, during the same year of my graduation. So we have in the end of the year, uh, the last year of the three years of engineering studies, we have to have uh, an internship of graduation to, have, to do a project. And I had an opportunity in Canada in that year, and I remember waking up one morning telling my parents, I'm not going to go. I'm going to stop the procedure, and I want to stay. I want to do the project. So it was like pitching to my parents and getting some money from them. They supported me with some money, I guess, less than $1,000, less less than $1,000, I had, in, let's say, uh, uh, traditionally you have two supervisors in the project, you have one academic, one professional. So I didn't have a professional because I was my own professional supervisor and I didn't have an office because it was done in my home. So yeah, it started from there. I was going like through a hard, a tough period. I was depressed, no, no team. How should I start things from scratch? I remember, let's say I had, I had to go like through some programs uh, one in Russia and one in, uh, in the US to work more on the vision and on the structure of the project in that year before even starting the tech. So I was traveling during my internship, learning new things on how to build the prosthetic, not just as a technical device, but as a full uh, project, a sustainable project. We worked on the vision, mission, objectives, and, and a lot of good things. So yeah, I finished like after around nine months, by developing a working prototype a functional one that was uh, tested, it was not perfect, but it was very successful as a beginning from scratch. During that nine months, I had something that also pushed me a lot. So uh, when I was somehow depressed, not knowing from, to, from where to start, and somehow I was giving up, uh, people, since people know that I develop prosthetics or I love prosthetics, tagged me on a post on Facebook uh, of a child who needs a prosthetic. It was in a public hospital in Tunisia and I was by curiosity uh, visiting the child. He, met, he, he lost a leg and a hand uh, because of an electric shock. Actually his parents couldn't buy him prosthetics, it was very expensive, not available, he was in a very bad situation. And that day, I felt even more disabled than that, that child because I didn't help, because I didn't have anything to give as a prosthetic. And that was another reason. Yeah, it's, it's worth doing. A lot of people that will change the life of a lot of people that will be something good for humanity. And yeah, then I told you, I, I traveled to some programs, came back to Tunisia, did the prototype, graduated with one of the best grades at the, at the university. And yeah. Uh, it somehow started from there.
0: That's quite. That's quite an interesting journey you were on. Tell me, how did you? I think you, you mentioned that at one point you had to go it alone for about nine months. How did you start bringing in teams into your project?
1: I remember having uh, so the first, let's say, the first year, I had like not a gap year but somehow a standby year. So in I graduate in the, the 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 late 2018, 2017, sorry. And during the 2018, I didn't have money at all. So what I did, I had some, uh, I suggested some project for a private university to found uh, an incubator for their students. So I founded a project that I loved also. I had it in my mind and I got money for it. So I had some salaries for a couple of months, then traveled again to some conferences by the UN, and other like Tony Elamulu Foundation, Nigeria and a lot of things to get more or extra funding. And uh, in the beginning of uh, 20, uh, so I registered the company legally in the late 2018. And uh, I started hiring uh, interns at first because I said I don't have enough funding to make mistakes. uh, Because you can hire people and after a couple of months, you'll find out that they're not the best profiles for the startup. And you will lose a lot of money, you lose a lot of time. So I said, let's take some interns. They will have the motivation to finish their projects because they have constraints for the university. So they have something, even if they don't believe in the startup. At least they can get something and they can work hard. And I started from there. I got one first profile through the through the intern internships, and then it was through uh, recommendations. So I started uh, getting uh, like with the maker a network let's say or ecosystem i found a second engineer uh, then uh, i had a friend of mine who was uh, jobless uh, he was unemployed he was like i was having a coffee with him and he was telling me i wish i can get some job even an internship to learn more and so i tell him yeah i can hire you i cannot provide a lot of money but yeah you can be part of the team so yeah he learned a lot from the other engineer. Uh, so now, yeah, we are three in the team and we have uh, a product designer with us. She was also part of the interns one, one day, one of the days, and now she's somehow helping us with the product design. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, this is our team now. We always have interns in the office, like five to 12 people extra in the office, uh, doing internships in many levels, marketing, business development. Engineering, so a lot of things.
0: That's amazing. From the time you started, what were the ground rules that you discovered as you were starting and started noticing? Oh no, when I'm starting a business, I need to have this in place. When I'm doing this, I need to have. This. Were there some some ground rules that sort of challenged you in the beginning as you were starting?
1: Yeah. First of all, I started informally. Um, it was not formal, so no legal registration, no deal with the government or administrations. Once I did that registration, I started losing a lot of time. Actually, in Tunisia, it's around 20-30% of your total, let's say, uh, full-time with administrations, legal papers, a lot of things. It's... And it's like monthly and weekly operations. So you'll always need to deal with that, the bank, the, the tax the institution, uh, with the supply chain. I use it to, uh, to bring some components with some friends in their own bags. It was somehow direct prototyping. And later on, it should be more formal. So you need to go through the legal channels, which is more challenging. You pay more money, you lose more time, it's more complex, more challenging. Also, uh, we have some issues in Tunisia with the with the international currency payment. So, it's somehow we don't have a PayPal in Tunisia. So, we need to find solutions on how to do that. So, it was somehow challenging. Later on I got the startup label, which is which give me some access to more uh, advantages or features. There are also Challenging, challenges in the supply chain itself. As a medical device, it's hard to get components you need. Uh, the Tunisian, let's say, supply suppliers are not well, are, they don't have a diver, diversified, let's say, content or components. So it's somehow challenging to get the right things in the right time. It takes a lot of time to get it from abroad, especially with the COVID-19. So uh, also there is a lot of, a lot of issues in the ecosystem. It's still not very mature. The, the, the encouragement or the support is limited somehow based on some lobbies, which is it's also centralized in the capital. I don't live in the capital. I live in the cost. It's the second city in Indonesia, but still having issues with these things. All the events, all the big administrations, everything is in the capital. So you always need to move for two hours to reach that place to get some paper done or to attend some event or to go network or to go for some meeting. So it's somehow challenging in many levels, but at the same time, it's a low cost development. So in Tunisia, if I was in a very, very, let's say, uh, or uh, a more developed country, it will be more costly for us, more restrictions. Maybe less freedom than, than we have we have more freedom here to test to go it's somehow like every developing countries less development, less complexity
0: that's quite interesting so that that sort of opens up um, um, i believe the continent to to um, an opportunity for maybe better infrastructure, better ecosystems for for startup or uh, better readiness to do business generally. As you mentioned, that supply chain is still something that needs, uh, it leaves more to be desired. And I think it's it's like that in most countries across the continent. Would you say perhaps there's something that um, governments across the continent would start looking at perhaps to start sort of shifting the the, the, uh, the plane towards being more ready to do business within the continent and encourage or create um, an atmosphere that is conducive for startups so do you think that do you think that there is something that governments can do
1: actually uh, yeah governments have some uh, some part of the game or can can be part of the game but they're not the only the only people here actually it's somehow a joint efforts or uh, a complementary efforts. There is the government, also the private sectors, people who have money to invest, take risks. Also the NGOs. So it's somehow a total or a joint players who can change the ecosystem. I guess the main the main player is the government. Yeah, should should. So as I said in Tunisia, we have this special law for startups. It's a good law. It gives a lot of Advantages, but still limited and many advantages are not activated because of other laws uh, so it's still very limited but it's a good start it's a good step uh, we are all proud as, as a startup community uh, gives us some scholarships for uh, entrepreneurs for 12 months it gives us some more access to international currencies for funding uh, for some uh, custom uh, regulations uh, with some assistance uh, Social security payment—they—they they pay it for years, for one year, I guess, or two years, or even more. So there are a lot of good things happening, but there are a lot also of restrictions and limitation because it should be changed on in all the levels, not just creating a law for startups. It should, it should be a mindset. It should be a vision for the government to say we want to be a startup nation. We want to, for example, to be cluster for healthcare for AI, for, I don't know, for, uh, for mechanical, for industry. So it's a country, a vision. It's not just about startups. So yeah, so that's, that's what I think about this point. I think that startups can change a country, can change the economy, can change communities, can contribute to the development of a country. It's not just about industry. I know industry can bring a lot of uh, employment, can bring a lot of big investments, but also startups can change things and can innovate and can do it quickly and can be flexible doing that which is not the case for industry so uh so yeah i believe it's it's a good uh, step that that governments in our continent should start thinking of uh there's a lot of good initiatives there's a lot of governments doing this but still limited
0: looks like there's quite there's quite a lot of work still to be done but um I think what, what Tunisia has done, it's a, it's a good start, as you're saying. Now, let, let's get back a bit into, into your business. If you, were to, if you were to describe it holistically, what would you say is the core business that you guys do?
1: So we empower people with disabilities somehow one day we'll be empowering everyone because we are talking about assistive devices like exoskeletons. People are wearing exoskeletons, they're fine, but they're wearing exoskeletons and it's called assistive devices. So we empower people. Uh, we are working as the beginning on people with disabilities and more specifically on people with limb differences. People who lost their, their hands, who were born without their hands, legs, Fingers, but our main project is a bionic arm, a 3D printed bionic arm that is uh, controlled with muscles. So, no surgical intervention. It's 3D printed. It's uh, somehow uh, easy to use because it's II powered. It has a solar uh, charger. We are finalizing the charger. It's going to be charging using uh, solar, uh, solar power for countries who don't have access to electricity. We want to be inclusive and it's not their fault that the government is not providing electricity. So we want to uh, fill that gap. Uh, also the prosthetic is customizable. So there are some external covers that are changeable continuously. So people can just remove them, add it. It's like with magnets, it's easy to remove, easy to add, and they can have the best design and colors they want. We also worked on some projects with physical therapy using virtual reality. So it allows people to see a virtual hand, to control it with the same sensors uh, of the prosodic, which is about training and to play games that simulate the therapy exercises instead of doing boring and stressing exercises. And the good thing, they can do that online. So so I believe that, especially with the COVID-19 now, the online innovation is, is a must now. So it allows people to do their therapy from home and to to allow the doctor to do the the follow-up online in a real-time way and store the data and see everything. We also did some projects with prosthetic legs. We did some projects with some physical therapy for hands for people who have neurological problems with hands. So yeah, we're trying to do some R&D in many parts to think of the future, to see new uh, new ideas that can help people in having a better life or better opportunities.
0: I think it's going to be really life-changing. I cannot Im- imagine what disabled people would, would feel like generally in life. But I think having that ability back, being able to use both hands again, it's I think it's something that is going to revolutionize the way we... We, we look at the world and the way Africa is viewed generally.
1: Yeah, actually I have an, an anecdote with this. So mm. we've been filming once with one of the prototypes and we had a lady, she's 16 years old. She's, she's an amazing girl. And she's, uh, she was like wearing the prosthetic for a first uh, scene then uh, I told her, let's say, uh, give us the prosthetic. We will take it, uh, we'll take it for you to the next scene. It's to be comfortable. She said, no, I want to keep it. And then we wanted to uh, show her the video before posting anything. Yeah, come and see what you said. Do you agree on this? She said, no, I have a bad voice. And she closed both of, both of her ears. She was born with one hand. So wow. she never could close both her ears, but actually as humans, we have this and we don't, we don't feel grateful for what we have in most of the cases. So our hands are a blast, are a gift. Small things we do with our hands are a blast and are very complex uh, human grips and actions. So closing your hands or gripping a cup of water or grabbing a cup of water or saying hi to someone is, is a gift. So people with disabilities, are more grateful for what they have and what they can have. So these small things that you can change in their life are huge. So it's not the same thing that we can see as people with no disabilities, as the people with disabilities can see and can, and can feel. So, yeah.
0: Oh, that's amazing. That's, a, that's really impressive work, I have to say. Um, there, there are so many lives that are going to be changed by this, and... I'll be following up with you because I really want to see how far this will go. And, oh man, I can just imagine. I can just imagine. You know, I, I was looking at, um, I believe uh, there's a European model. I'm not so sure from which country she she lost her leg. And she she just took that and started calling herself the future model because she got a prosthetic that gave her the uh, bionic look. So she just took that and said, "This is, this is the future. And as I was looking at it, I thought to myself, This is creativity beyond what we can imagine, and as you're saying there, that uh, your prosthetics will, you know, have interchangeable covers. That 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 really shifts it from from not being just a a medical device to becoming a a fashionable device. Yeah, it's about seeing. It's about
1: seeing differences and disabilities from a different perspective. It's about championing disabilities. So I don't want people to feel pity for people with disabilities, but to be impressed by them, to mm-hmm. admire them, to learn from them. So they have a potential. You know, like there is like the famous DJ, DJ in Africa, Black Coffee. He has one hand. Right. Yes. He has <laughs> the most amazing music.
0: There, there's did, a lot did. of
1: people like, like him who are, who are not somehow on the light or under the light. So I want to support them. I want to give them a helping hand for life and to showcase their full potential. They can do amazing things. Some of them will, will just maybe some normal people, and, but yeah, still doing great things because they're fighting with disabilities in a world that most of it don't respect disabilities. So I believe that it's about seeing things from a different angle or perspective. And that's the idea
0: here. You don't have to particularly answer this, but it's a question I've, I've had in mind in a, for a very long time. For as, I think for as long as I've been following tech, what do you think about sort of biological augmentation? Somebody that has everything correct, but maybe they want a bionic eye or they, they want a different hand or they want a couple of other fingers. The first possible application of it that I... I saw or heard of, if I can put it that way, was of a man that had three hands. I think um, from I'm not so sure if this is factual or it's something that is still an idea, but I believe the 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 U.S. military was working on in on a on a third arm for the for the army that would sort of carry the gun so that the man doesn't get tired. Which I'm not so sure if it's factual, but you know. Uh, uh, when you're looking at, at, at R&D, there are so many things that pop up. But anyways, to me, it looked like it was human augmentation. Like we're trying to feather ourselves into the age where we, are, we sort of have this symbiotic uh, relationship with technology to a point where I think to some extent, you won't be able to tell the difference between which part is human and which part is machine, if I can put it that way. What do you think about that?
1: Actually, I believe that uh, that as I as I started in the beginning, I told you we it's about empowering people, and one day we will be empowering people with no disabilities. I guess that human and machines are somehow going to, to 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 be more to be closer, and maybe to uh, to get more combinations in the future. And as I said, I was saying that somehow in a funny way with some friends. One day maybe you'll have a hand and you'll say, oh, I need the more a stronger hand, or, uh, a, a hand uh, tired, or a hand that doesn't feel tired, or hand that doesn't get sick, or, or somehow apart. There's a lot of other parts in the body, the heart, the kidney, a lot of things that uh, people are talking, working on the brain now, machine interface, like the Elon Musk thing, and uh, uh, Neuralink uh, project, so I guess we, are going as a humanity to that. It's not a choice one of the dates. It will not be a choice, it will be a trend. <coughs> it will be, uh, let's say, a field of the development. But for us, I believe as, let's say, as the mid or short and midterm, we are working with people with disabilities. We want, there will be always people with disabilities and that's our main focus. But as R&D, we can go further. We can go and test a lot of good things. I believe that it's about empowering people whatever they are and but but for now it's about just people with disabilities but maybe in the future yeah we'll be having me you know the robots or something
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, it is it it, it it does seem to be a, a a really promising future um but um from your side where do you think where do you think your industry is going what what should we be expecting from it let's say in the near future
1: actually by being like passionate about tech by reading a lot about what's happening i believe that we are going even faster than than we think to that to that to that uh, edge or to that uh, era. Uh, human, uh, humans and robots, as I said, are, gonna, are getting closer than, than we used it to know. Uh, we are talking about bionics in every part of the humans. We are talking about, uh, as, as you said, bionic eyes. There are bionic eyes. There are bionic clacks, hearts. Hands everything, so uh, it's uh, it's somehow as I said, Elon Musk is working on how to uh, how to add programs to the brain with a SIM card. So yeah, it's crazy. It's it's. I guess it's uh, it's going faster than we thought. All the movies we watched are gonna be like somehow, somehow. It, maybe one day military people will not be humans. It'll be half humans, half robots, or maybe full robots. Yeah. So I don't see it very very far. It's very
0: close. I don't know. It's it's both exciting and scary. You know? <laughs> in, that's the singularity that... point. Yeah,
1: that's the singularity point. <laughs> I, I I remember like attending one one uh, conference. And it was about the singularity point, not from the physical aspect, but from the innovation aspect. So technology is gonna either solve our problems or it's gonna destroy everything because we, like we are in a high potential of technology now. It's crazy We're a lot of tech around us, cars are autopilots and have autopilots, uh, Robots are supervising everything. We are always connected. So so it's going to either make our life better or it's going to either make our life worse by restricting our life, by being uh, less human. Because one day, as I said, in the airports, there will be no humans to to have that contact. It will be only robots, only robots.
0: Yeah, oh, it's, it's amazing. We really... Um, uh, I'm really bracing up for it because I think um, we are very close to that future, considering how fast tech is moving. Where where do you see, let's say, Africa as a continent? Where do you see Africa in the in the tech space? What role do you think we can take or should take? I believe this continent is the future, but it
1: can be either our future or can be the future of other people or other countries or governments. You know that most of our African countries are somehow occupied (laughs) and directly or uh, informally. So uh, uh, we are somehow uh, not free to choose, not free to decide. And that's a problem, I guess. The day we will be able to decide and to choose and to have our own resources and our, our own youth here not running from our country, we can be the future of this world because it's a virgin continent. It has a lot of potential. It's one of the youngest continents. I'm talking about people in this continent. There are young people here, so they can do a lot. I went to, I guess, six, seven African countries, not a lot, but still a good, uh, a good, good part of the continent. <clears throat> and i saw a lot of of energy i saw a lot of potential things are still not developed so we can do a lot to make it better we can work on i said where 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 problems are where opportunities are so if you have problems with housing you can innovate if you have problems with transportation you can innovate so there are it's not the same like being in the us it's somehow a competitive market with a lot of people inside, things are very uh, complex. But yeah, you go to, to Nigeria, to Tunisia, to South Africa, there's a lot of things to do. So we can build things the right way. We can learn from other people. We can do it the right way. But as I said, since or until that time, I hope things get better with our governments to so be more uh, independent, let's
0: say yeah that would be that that really would be i think um um the place we want to be where where all the possibilities that the continent hold are possibilities for us not just possibilities for for others and that we could you know we sort of continue to see opportunity on the continent because at most <laughs> and this is the, this is something that uh sort of frustrates me not that we don't want people to to own things in Africa, but for the fact that some of the most mundane things that are connected to Africa are not owned by Africans. Which which to me it's Yeah. It's 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 really it
1: it's frustrating and some, some sometimes indeed. it it makes me angry. Yeah, yeah. Countries <laughs> yeah. countries with resources are having civil wars and are one of the poorest countries. There are a lot of them having, when you see some Gulf countries, having the oil uh, and gas and having all of those resources. And when I see some African countries having all the gold and all the mining and everything, and they're the poorest and they're fighting all the day, getting, uh, uh, getting, let's say, a lot of weapons instead of uh, technology, getting a lot of weapons instead of uh, education, and they're killing themselves and each other. Uh, it feels I feel angry about this. I, I say yeah, we, we are we are not we are occupied. Yeah, we still occupied, but it's different kind of occupation and it's a different kind mm-hmm. of, uh, of of occupiers. So yeah, uh, it, it's frustrating and it's. Somehow making me angry. Mm.
0: Uh, I hope we will we'll get the time and the and the and the chance and the resources we need to to solve all of these challenges in our lifetimes. I think that's um, it's something I really desire that we'll be able to solve, if not all, but most of them, or at least the fundamental ones, in our lifetime. You know, that's and that's a challenge for every entrepreneur and every African out there. We have to solve these things in our lifetime. Hey. Sorry to disturb. I'm Linkford Biz, host of the podcast you're listening to. But this is not just a podcast. It's part of a greater vision. The vision to help African entrepreneurs build and run successful businesses. This vision led me to create the Big Shot Business Network, a place where millions of entrepreneurs can connect, share, and grow. So be sure to check out Big Shot Business Network by visiting www.likeabigshot.com. See you there. Looking at um, uh, the tech space, generally, are there some opportunities that you see that maybe your business might not be be taking an, a, advantage of, but you think this is something that other African entrepreneurs should and could be looking at? Are there any opportunities that you think Africans should be taking advantage of now? As I said, um, uh, that's my, my, my humble point of
1: view. I guess that as I said, we have a version continent. We can innovate in everything. Everything somehow is uh, everything is somehow is a good investment and a good opportunity. You can go for healthcare. We have a lot of issues with healthcare, with hospitals, with appointments. You can go with uh, e-commerce. We have a lot of problems. You can go with transportation. I went to a lot of countries that is problems with transportations, even with Uber. But we can have Uber. Local over and other kind of overs and you can we can get better things. There's a lot of uh, problems with e banking and online payment, and I, I don't know. It's like with AI, with everything. So yeah, it's, it's all about having a purpose in life. It should you should have a purpose. You should find the code. You should find the problem. It can be, as I said, something from your. Uh, your own experience, your own life, your own community but something that sometimes like not from there directly as I did myself. I never had someone in my family with disabilities but still doing this now because I found the purpose finally and I'm fighting for it. So I believe that if we look closer to our countries and to our uh, problems around us and if we can get some encouragement and sometimes even if we don't get encouragement it could be a mission for us, it's country, it's our country, it's our uh, communities, it's our, uh, let's say, families there. So it's worth always, it's worth trying, it's worth doing. So uh, so yeah, just, just go for it for everyone I say just go for it, it's, it's worth doing. You can learn a lot from that, it's not, it's never a, a losing experience. It's, it's always about winning something.
0: That's beautiful, that's beautiful. Thank you for that. Is there perhaps something um, a word of encouragement or uh, any insight you'd like to give to entrepreneurs across the continent? So as I, I, I as I said to my to my
1: friends around me, I'm, I'm I'm not gonna. What I'm gonna say is just a personal experience. I'm not an expert. I'm not giving uh, guidance to you guys. I'm just giving insights uh, and some ideas from my humble experience. But I guess if you want to do something, you will find a way to do it. And that's what, about, that's what entrepreneurship is about. It's about solving problems. It's about getting solutions. It's about getting things done. So I didn't have money when I started. I got my family. If you don't have a family that supports you, you can get friends. You can get a loan. You can get some side jobs and do your job. You can have some part-time job. You can get to a company and get some salaries and then use it you can apply for grants, cash prizes. There's a lot of opportunities. I got for my first grant from the Tony Elumelu Foundation in Nigeria, it's $5,000 for 2,000 entrepreneurs in the continent. So there's a huge potential for that. And that's one from thousands of opportunities. So I believe that when you get a mission or a purpose to work on, you will find a way to make it happen. And if it doesn't happen, that's fine. All of people can fail. Even the biggest companies we see are success after many failures. So it's fine to fail, it's fine to learn. The best thing is to uh, to keep going on, not just stopping and giving up. That's the, the worst thing in the experience is giving up. So it's about learning, it's about uh, making things happen. Uh, yeah, so just go for it, as I said. I went to many countries, more than 25 countries in the world, and the developing countries were developed by their uh, citizens. I'm not talking about just, uh, let's say, uh, native citizens, I'm talking about people in that same country. So Tunisia will never be a better country if Tunisians will not work to make it better. Kenya will never be a better country if people in Kenya will not work to make it better. That's the same for all the countries. So if we want to see our continent a better one, we should work to make it better. We should not wait for anyone to do it. Yeah, we can get some support, we can get some guidance, it's fine, but it's us, the main players. So it's it's about us in the end of the day.
0: Now, oh, that's beautiful, that's beautiful. Thank you for that, thank you for that. It really is our responsibility to uh, get the continent working properly and, you know, Going towards a prosperous future. Are there any books you would uh, recommend?
1: Okay, so I have a, my favorite book. Uh, maybe uh, it's for uh, Simon Sinek. Uh, uh, Find your why, and it's about the why. So, uh, so in his theory of the why, he said people will not buy because of your what or your how, but because of your why. It's uh, it's it's a good it's a good book to. To learn, pro, to learn more about ourselves and to learn more about what we want to do and what we want to do for people also. And I believe this book will give you some insights uh, on this, the why. It's very important, the
0: purpose. Now that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So as we get into closing, how do people get in touch with you? Where can they find you?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm available in most of the social media accounts with the same name, Mohamed Dawafi. Uh, you can maybe you can write it for them later, but uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, uh, a Twitter, uh, through email to yeah, Dawafi Ned and I, I can send it to everyone. I'm available. Yeah, you can. They can reach me somehow. I'm. I'm not that. I'm not right. that hard person to, to reach.
0: Uh-huh all right now that's beautiful we'll put that uh, all that information uh in the podcast notes but i think for now we've reached the end i really appreciate um you giving us the time and getting to talk about your business and some of the challenges we are having uh, on the continent and how to solve them i really appreciate you coming through to the show
1: yeah i also want to thank you for uh for being a voice it's always i uh, had awesome. Everyone can contribute from his from his side with with something, and we are doing an effort to to to, to be a voice for, for maybe for people uh, around the continent and maybe for some fields. So yeah, I also appreciate what you're doing. Thank you for that.
0: Thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Uh, we've reached the end of today's show, and that was Mohammed Dawafi the founder and CEO of Cure Bionics up there in Tunisia. We really appreciate the work you're doing up there and thank you for coming today.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, I enjoyed the conversation.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Remember to subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Be sure to join millions of fellow entrepreneurs at Big Shot Business Network. For this week's show notes, visit likeabigshot.com podcast. Until next week, this has been the Big Shot Business Podcast.